Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall... Speak with the enemies in the gates. Let us pause for just a moment of prayer. Now, Lord, as we look at your word this evening, we come humbly into your presence. We pray that we are not just here in body in an earthly, man-made place of worship, but that this is in our minds and our hearts, the very presence of God into whose sanctuary we have come this night. Take us into your will. Bind us together. And Lord, speak to each of our hearts for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, I think there are four basic institutions we deal with. There, of course, is the state or the government that has its place and responsibility, and we have responsibility to it. And we're admonished in the scripture to be subject unto those who have authority over us. And that definitely makes reference to the political scene, to our government. Secondly, there is the school, an institution that we certainly would not desire, I think, to do without at all. It's become very valuable in, in our society because it's, it's the basis of the, the lives that we have. We are largely made by what we have been taught in school. And thirdly, there is the church. An institution, again, again, that I believe that we would find to be of utmost value in our individual lives. And then fourthly, there is the home. And I think of all four of these institutions that we cannot escape, at least in my mind, that the most important institution in all the world is the home, seconded by the church. For it was the home that was first established by God even from the beginning of the Garden of Eden. All of society impacts upon the home. But in reverse, our world is what our homes have made them. I want to parallel tonight in things that I have to say the, the parallels of building a house and the parallels of building a home. 
to the parallels of building a home. There are some important things that a person must consider before he builds a house. And those things have some relationship to building the home that will go in the house. One of the things that anybody should consider, if they do not, they have fallen short in their consideration. If they're going to build a house, there are some things that you want to consider as far as location is concerned. For example, if you're going to build a house, things that will enter one's mind is, where is this house in relationship to the schools to which my children will go? That becomes important. Can I build way up a hollow and uh, expect my children to walk out to the highway and catch a bus and ride it so many miles to school? Is this acceptable? When I was a kid, I walked a mile and caught a bus 20 miles, and it took that bus a full hour and some to make that 20-mile trip. Uh, that probably is not too accessible, uh, acceptable anymore. I remember a child, a kid that I went to school with who walked five miles and rode a bus 25 miles. He literally walked five miles. They may have been acceptable some years ago, but if a person were building a house today, one of the things he would consider is where is it in relationship to the schools that I will want my children to go to? Where is it in relationship to shopping? Can you women imagine walking five miles out to uh, a hard road and then getting in an automobile and riding 25 miles to go get your groceries? Uh, it used to be done. It still is done in a few cases. So we would want to consider that. We would want to consider where our house is in relationship to our work. And how far can we tolerate driving from where we live to where we work? That was one of the considerations that, that had to come to play in our move to Madison is whether or not it was acceptable to drive 30 miles from Madison to Logan uh, for my job when I was driving six miles in Charleston. I discovered it took me longer to drive the six miles in Charleston than it did the 30 miles from Madison to Logan. So that came into play, but those things get into our minds as to where we're going to live in relationship to what we're going to be doing. And there are perhaps many other considerations as to the location of our house, but one that is of utmost importance, at least it certainly ought to be, and that is where is our house in relationship to the church? Sometimes I'm afraid too many people do not take that into consideration. In California, some years ago, there was a new community, totally built all new houses uh, by a, a developer. He allowed for a shopping center, a service station, and all the things that people would need within that community, even a provision for a school, but he made no provision for a church. No lot was set aside, no plans made that a church might be built in the community. For a while, people moved into the nice new homes, and then he discovered over a period of a few years that that community was deteriorating, and people were not wanting to live in it, and they were finding houses continually for sale, and he couldn't sell his new houses, and he began to research why that was true. 
And the answers that he found in his research were very obvious to me. He had made no provisions for an influence of a church in that community. And people were moving where they might be, uh, have access and might be accessible to the church. There was a time in our, in our world in which the church was the center of all of our activity. Those of you who are older than I can remember that that's the way you dated. As a matter of fact, I did a little of that. I went to church in order to sit by a girlfriend. Did any of you guys do that? And uh, it was uh, a watch-looking time if the preacher went over time because I wanted to walk her home. And I was more interested in that. It was the social center of the community where I grew up. We did not have a theater. It had 200, there were 200 people in town. There was no theater. There was at one time a barber shop and a general store and a, a service station. And we either found our entertainment by sitting outside the general store and gossiping and listening to all the tales that everybody brought into town, or we went to church. What else was there to do? I had to drive 20 miles to uh, do anything that you couldn't buy or do at that little local store. That local store is still in existence, but it's, it's changed its, its image considerably. The church was the educational center of the community at one time, but it, it no longer is and perhaps need not be. Well, because of these shifts in our interests, we no longer think of coming to church for social values or educational values. We think of going somewhere else. And sometimes we forget that the church still has an impact to make upon us and must have that impact if we're going to be very successful as parents in building our home. I think that this, the home should never be built outside the influence of the church. I was reflecting as I prepared this message and I sat in here this evening. I got a telephone call and somebody told me if I didn't have my sermon ready but now it was too late. It was like taking a test. Well, I was sitting there thinking about my sermon and I recalled that the church at home where I grew up as a boy, where I was baptized and ordained and all of that, has a bell high in the tower. And I could be several miles away in that rural community, way back on a hill somewhere, and hear, hear that bell ring. It still rings today before every service. It doesn't need to rain because everybody has a watch. There was a time that that was important. The Methodists have a bell in that town as well. They had their services one half hour early than the Baptists. And if I were out doing something on the farm as a kid or even after I grew up and I heard the Methodist bell ring, which had a different tone than the Baptist bell, I said to myself, I've got a half an hour to get myself off of this hill or whatever I was doing and get ready to go to church. When I was a kid, I asked my mother why the bell was rung. And she said, listen to it. It says, come, 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 come. 
And I never hear a bell ring to this day from a church steeple, but what I hear in my mind, the words, come, 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 come. It is the invitation that the church extends, whether by a bell or whether by its mere influence, into the community that the homes ought to be influenced by what goes on in this location. It's important, I think, that we keep our families in church. We must build our homes within the influence of the church. Secondly, we must consider the foundation of a building, a house, as well as the foundation of a home. We have the story that Jesus gave us of people who built a house upon the sand and one who built a house upon the solid rock. And I've learned over the years that when you start putting up a building, the first thing you consider is where are you going and how far are you going, how deep, how wide, with the foundation. We did that when we prepared our new building here, and it's done on every house. And anybody who does not give serious consideration to the foundation of a building will find himself in, in serious trouble very soon. And so into the consideration goes the foundation. And the soil is oftentimes tested with the big buildings and those huge monsters that they build they go extremely deep until they can find something that is solid enough to support the weight of that building. And the point is, the depth of the foundation becomes important for the home. How deep is our foundation, our faith in God? Back in Deuteronomy, God told his people some things about establishing foundation. When he said in the chapter 6, these words, Thou shalt, and this is a commandment, teach them, referring to the commandments of God, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. What was he saying? He was saying the word of God must be always in presence of the family. Our children should not grow up without the knowledge of the word of God being always present. I remember several years ago at Bible school time as... Uh, we went around picking up kids to bring them to the Bible school, which was held in the daytime. One of the instructions given by the teachers was, tomorrow morning all of you kids bring a Bible. And as the teacher stopped in front of this one house to pick up the child, the child came out waving a Bible and said, we found it, we found it, we found it. What was he saying? The Bible has not been present in this home as an influence. Although the Bible is the uh, widest selling book in all the world and has remained there for many years, it's unknown basically to the families of the people of the United States. It is not read. It is not the foundation upon which our lives are built. And because it is not, we have tragedies in our families 
Not all tragedies are caused by a lack of this, but I'm saying that oftentimes our younger people are turning to other things, particularly to alcohol and to drugs and to illicit sex, trying to find something to grasp hold of. And unless we give our families the important ingredients that are found in the scriptures and that we teach in church, we're not going to have a solid individual growing up in the world. Some will become solid later in life, and some of you testify to that very fact. But for the most part, if you have not grown up under the influence of the church, you'll never become a Christian. For the most part. And I think our sad conditions in the world today demonstrate the fact that we have not provided our families with a foundation, anything secure and solid. John said in chapter 7, well, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, what is he talking about? For the person who believes on Jesus Christ from him or from that family will flow out continual water from God. Shallow wells run dry. Deep wells have water in them. If a family is shallow, in times of difficulties, there is going to be a running dry. But for those of us who are solid in our foundation, we will discover that we can face the problems that face us, whatever they might be, because we have something coming out of us that can be described like rivers of water. The source is there and flows through us. I believe that our families must be actively participating in the activities of the church. Listen, I do not think we have fulfilled the responsibility to our family by simply one-time attendance to church a week. Sunday morning Sunday school or Sunday morning worship is not adequate. There ought to be a, an active participation in the affairs of the church, whatever those affairs may be, to... Uh, present to our families, to our kids, that church is important. We have a lot of fair weather attendance in churches. We always have, and I suppose we always will. Those fair weather attenders, you know who those are, those that only come when things are just, just perfect, just right, just exciting, and uh, seem to fall by the wayside when there are difficulties find something else to do or someplace else to go when they ought to be in church because things just aren't setting quite right. Church is seen as a convenience by lots of families. I do not think that the church is a convenience. I think the church is a necessity. It's as important for us as food and clothing and education and all the other things. Matter of fact, probably more important because it gives us a foundation for our spiritual lives that we don't find anywhere else. The family needs to be involved, the total family involved in all the affairs that it's humanly possible to be involved in, 
And I know that we cannot all participate in all things, and I'm not beginning even to suggest that. But what I'm saying is there ought to be a conscious knowledge of the purpose of the church in the community to serve the family, and the family ought to participate in all those things that it's possible to do. All right, let's move on to another point. In a house, we start figuring out what rooms we want. And we know that we want a kitchen. Now, in modern day times, we've added a bath. Of course, there's the bedroom. And there's a den. And now we have a TV room. And all these are very important. And we would plan on them and perhaps other rooms as well. I want to say that there are some rooms that there ought to be in the building of a family that ought to be considered, and I want to mention four of them. There ought to be room for respect, is number one. Every member of the family ought to respect the rights and the privileges of every other member without intruding upon those persons' rights. I'm afraid oftentimes we as parents intrude upon the rights of our children privacy, and we therefore uh, educate our children to intrude upon the rights of the parents to privacy and to other things as life goes along. We ought to recognize that, that we have certain relationships with each other, and we ought to be respected for what that relationship is. But we are not teaching respect today for the most part. I cannot possibly comprehend, although I suppose I should be able to, why it is that we do not respect authority today. We see it on television all the time. If there is an episode in which the police are called, the crowd is against the police and in favor of the, the fellow or the woman who has created the disturbance. There is lack of respect for other people. Lack of respect for property. Why did you lock your house before you left? The answer is because you can't trust people anymore. When I grew up, we didn't have a lock on our house. It never was locked. Didn't you grow up that way, some of you? You never thought of locking the house for fear somebody might break in, but you don't dare leave it open now. I remember one time that we were going to leave home for a week and my wife suggested we better lock the house and we couldn't figure out how to do it. We didn't have any locks. And the locks we had, we didn't have keys to. I wouldn't dare do that today. There's been somebody in our house on three occasions while we've been at church and the house has been locked. We went home one evening and every light, including the light on my desk, was on. Every one of them. And nothing was disturbed. Somebody had been in and locked the doors. They left. So that but I, I don't know why or how they got in or what their purpose was. But we can't trust each other. We are not teaching respect for property. And this is one of the things that we need to teach. Secondly, I think there needs to be a room for forgiveness. Ephesians 4.26 says, Let not the sun go down upon thy wrath. I think that's an important principle. How many times do we go to bed mad at somebody? 
And do you know that that anger creates ulcers? And the first thing you know, we're going to have health problems because we allowed the anger that has developed in us to get out of control. There ought to be a room in our family lives in which we forgive each other, and it would go further than even in our families. There ought to be room in our personal lives that we forgive each other. Anger, when it is retained, will destroy both parties, the one that, is, that you're angry at and the person who is angry. I suppose some of the hardest words in all the world is to say is, I am sorry. But they need to be said over and over again. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, how often should a person forgive? And they suggested seven times. And Jesus said, you should forgive 70 times seven in other words, you should continually forgive. Do you think that there is a limit to God's forgiveness? He said as often as we will come to him and ask for his forgiveness, he will grant it. Should we not respond correspondingly to each other in this way? And yet in many, many families, they are at out with each other, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, uh, parents and children who do not speak and they probably have even forgotten why they don't speak. It has been there and festered for long periods of time. There ought to be a room in our home called the room of forgiveness in which we never allow these things to fester and will always forgive. That will carry over out of the home into the church. And it does carry over. It carries then from the church into the community. And we suddenly will discover that people are forgiving each other right down the line because we have taught it and we have practiced it in our home. Thirdly, I think that we need to have a room in our home called sharing. Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It is the law that Jesus established that we share with each other in our burdens. If one of us hurts, we should all hurt. If one of us is rejoicing, we should all rejoice with him. That's what the scripture says. We must support each other in the home and support each other in the church. This is vital for a good family relationship. It's together we stand or divided, we're all going to fall. And I think that that has been proven time and time again. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. And this is the responsibility that we have. But I have counseled many people who and wives will say that all he wants to do, referring to her husband, is just criticize me all the time. And I've had the reverse said by husbands that the wife does nothing but pick me apart and find fault. And a kid will come home with something that he's proud of, and the parents will criticize it instead of saying, my, how glad I am to see you do such a fine job. And so what do we do but teach that we don't share things, and so we run off to our own little rooms, and there we hibernate, and we, we grovel, we complain, we are bitter, and we develop an attitude toward each other that is debilitating destroys us because we do not have a room called sharing 
in which we learn what each other's problems are and take them to heart to share them together. And lastly, we should have a room called love. Someone has said recently that here in our church that, uh, that we probably need more preaching on love, and I suspect that that's true. I don't think that we can ever get enough thinking about and talking about loving each other. In the home, there, of course, begins with romantic love, and that ought to continue. There will be some changes in how we express ourselves to each other over the years, but there ought to be that love there between husbands and wives that will be seen by the children, and the children then in return will love according to the way they have seen their parents love. I wonder how much we really love each other. A husband looked at his calendar in his office, and he saw a date circled. And he thought, what on earth did I circle that date for? That's important for some reason, but he couldn't remember. And so to be on the safe side, he stopped on his way home and bought some flowers for his wife and took them home. Any of you guys ever do that? And then he said, let's go out to eat. And so they went out and had a fine dinner. And she said, I'm really enjoying all this attention you're giving me. Would you please tell me what it's all about? Well, since he realized that she didn't know what it was all about either, he confessed. He said, I couldn't remember. I had the date circled, and I knew that it meant something important. So I thought I'd be on the safe side and take care of it, and you'd never know the difference. She said, well, really, I appreciate all this, but why you had that date circle was you're supposed to take the car to the garage today. <laughs> Maybe sometimes we ought to do some of those things just because. A kind word, an attitude of love, a little recognition, a thank you for a fine meal, or whatever it might be, on the part of us all to each other, would fill that room in our home called love. And then in conclusion, let me say that there's one thing that's necessary to make all of this work, and that is that Jesus Christ must be the center of that home, or none of it's going to mean a thing. And here comes the rub in most homes in this community as well as other communities, and maybe even amongst some of the families of this church, is that Christ really is not the center of the home. He's uh, maybe a guest who is made uncomfortable because he doesn't have the, the real confidence of being welcomed. Jesus said to Zacchaeus as he sat in the sycamore tree one day, Come down, Zacchaeus, for I must go to your house today. And I wonder how many times have we been Zacchaeus, we would have shuddered and said, No, I think I'll stay up in the tree. Because we would not be comfortable having Jesus as a guest in our home. If the Lord Jesus said to you as you left the church today, I want to go home with you this evening, how comfortable would you feel? Would there be the possibility that you would think there are some things that I'm going to have to hurry up and get in there before he goes in and straighten up? Because I'm going to have to put the Bible out where it's obvious. I'm going to have to put some of the magazines away that, that are laying out. We're going to have to change some things. And when it comes time for the meal, 
there will be many a family who will be very uncomfortable because they don't know what to do about prayer. I've been in some of those homes over the years when I've been invited to eat. And I, I notice that as we go to mealtime, that there is the uncertainty as to what ought to be done. And the wife, usually in those cases, knows that she needs to ask the pastor to say the grace, as they usually say, or offer the prayer. And the husband will say nothing. He never has done it. And consequently, she probably never has either, but they recognize that it needs to be done. But suppose Jesus were that guest. We ought to feel comfortable in offering the prayer ourselves in his presence. Joshua said to the people of Israel on one occasion, a charge to them when he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Then he concluded by saying, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I think we each need to take that charge to heart. Every one of our families, and the man ought to be the head of the home, the spiritual leader in the home, and I'll not discuss that tonight. But the husband ought to be saying, and the father ought to be saying to his wife and to his children, look, we are going to have a Christian home. Christ is going to be the center and here are the ground rules under which we're going to work. We're going to church, we're going to have prayer, and we're perhaps going to have devotional reading, uh, Bible study, and prayer in our home. We're going to make Christ the center of all our activities. When that is done, there won't be decisions to be made come Sunday morning. We'll already know what we're going to do. The wife is not going to turn to the husband and say, well, are we going to go to church today? The kids already know to get up and get dressed because this will be the automatic process of the day. We start out Sunday in church. When it comes time for the meal, the kids will already know to bow their head and to be prepared for a prayer because it's automatically going to take place. That's the process and the pattern of the home. So I think there are some things about the building that correlate to the home, and that is we need, and let me quickly review, we need to establish our home in a proper location under the influence of the church. Secondly, we need to establish a home on a solid foundation where there is no question, no question, but that Jesus Christ is the foundation. Thirdly, we need to establish a home with different rooms in it, rooms for respect for each other, room for forgiveness, a room for sharing with each other in good and bad, and a room called love. When we have put those ingredients into our home and founded it upon Jesus Christ and made him the center, then there won't be any question about our relationships to each other and our relationships to the community and to the church. It has already been settled long ago by Jesus Christ our Savior.
Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.